Hello, podcaster. It's Charlie here bringing you another episode of The Business of Podcasting. And in today's episode, I'm joined with Pete Smizen of the Aussie English Podcast. Now, Pete has a podcast in a fascinating niche. He actually helps people understand and learn Australian English and the history of Australian English. Now, what's even more fascinating is that Pete's grown this show from absolutely zero to 10,000 downloads a day. So that's not 10,000 downloads a week or 10,000 downloads a month, it's 10,000 downloads a day. So what we go into in this episode is that journey and helping you understand what it took or what it takes to get a podcast to that level from there and then how he's actually gone about monetizing it and making it his full-time gig. Now, Pete is 609 episodes in. He also does a lot of YouTube and something I found really fascinating in this conversation is how he thinks differently about YouTubing and audio podcast and how they can work together really well. So I think this episode is going to be really insightful for anyone that wants to take a podcast from that uh, to that level and also what you can learn from Pete and bring into your own show from there. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Please make sure you do like like, subscribe, and share this show so we can help more people with their podcasts. Now, one more thing just before we head into this episode, we're just about to put up a new resource on Vela Media, which can help podcasters actually get on other podcasts. So one of the things we're really excited about is the idea that you can grow your show by being a guest on other shows, as well as bringing people onto your own show. So if you would like to get booked on more podcasts other than your own show, then make sure you head over to Media slash resource and you can pick that one up from there. Let's in, head into the episode and I hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to the show, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How's it going? I'm doing really well. I'm excited by this interview. Now, how we came to connect is quite unusual. I don't think I've ever actually connected with a guest in the same way. Now, we're a part of a Facebook group called the Melbourne Podcasters, and you actually posted this short video about your podcasting journey and what you've done, and I watched this clip, and I don't think I've been ever so motivated to contact someone and connect with them. I was actually concerned you were going to think I was like some weirdo on the internet with how hard I kind of came at you to go, please come on my podcast, please come on my podcast. <laughs> how do you know I don't? <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, it was good. That was um, that was totally out of left field. So I had a, uh, a just a student team from Deakin contact me after one of them had been following my podcast for a while and knew my story of giving up my career and getting into podcasting and was like, can we do a, a documentary on you? And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, you know, like, come on down. <laughs> We're going to get into all of that because yep. why I suppose I thought this was such a good fit for this show is I think you've actually accomplished something that many people who have podcasts are striving for. You've actually gone the full journey in quite a short amount of time. And I want to give that some context. You've gone from scratch to literally 200,000 downloads a month yeah. and making this your full-time gig in about two years of timing there, which I maybe, just think- Maybe is, three or four. But right, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it an extra bit from there, but but even then it's quite an accomplishment. So to open this up, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about what your business is and a little bit about your show, and then we'll dig into the details. Man, for sure. So my podcast is called The Aussie English Podcast, where I obviously teach Australian English. 
we can go into sort of how I got that started. But effectively, at the moment, at least the business is an online platform where people can um, purchase extras for the podcast. So if they want to get, you know, the transcript for the podcast to read word for word, because they're obviously English learners, they want the downloads for the uh, episodes, and they also want to use the player. I have like a custom player on the website that reads the transcript as they listen so that they can obviously use that on their phone or at home. Um, And then on top of that, a lot of the content I create with the podcast and outside of it is in what I call the Aussie English Academy. And that's all up online. So it's effectively courses, a lot of different courses for sale to help people with improving their English, understanding Australian culture and history, you know, conversations, dialogues, everything like that. So that's effectively the business at the moment. It's very cool. I just want to bring to context there, like how I kind of look at this is you're an information business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, selling courses and content and a lot of things online. Um, And you've got a very unique niche of essentially people who are wanting to learn Australian English um, and people that are maybe traveling to Australia that want to understand Australia better. So I have to ask, how did this niche come to be? Because it's very like unless I'd have seen this video, I would never have even known <laughs> this niche was a thing. So oh man, it it's a be? it's it's a long story. But so I had um, I had always wanted to be a scientist. My parents met at Melbourne University. I ended up going to Melbourne University after school and doing a science degree, just like them. In fact, some of the people teaching me were their friends from university. So I was always expecting to sort of go through and and end up out the other end a scientist. And so I did my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, my PhD. And it was during the PhD that I kind of, you know, I just got sort of sick of just focusing. A lot of, I don't know if you guys will know much about the science crowd, but a lot of them, especially today, it's very cutthroat. You have to kind of become obsessed with just that one thing. And so there's no real other outlets for the average scientist. And I wanted to do other things on the side, you know, like jujitsu. I was at the gym, I was doing other things. And through those activities, I ended up meeting a lot of people who were foreigners in Melbourne because it's, you know, full of foreign students, foreign workers, or people migrating to Australia. And at the same time, I was learning French to fluency. Like I had decided, you know what, after meeting a bunch of these people at the uh, MMA gym where I was training, absolute MMA in Melbourne, if any of you guys are there, I was like, you know what, this is embarrassing. Loads of you guys speak English as well as your foreign language and probably, you know, one or two other languages as well. And I feel like, you know, it's my responsibility as someone who knows a lot of foreigners to pick up a language, you know, finally that I can speak fluently. And I'd done French at school for six years back in high school. I'd done it for year 12 and just decided, you know what, I'm just going to smash this out. So I started studying that like crazy and was found, finding all these other podcasts teaching French that were really, really good. One of them was Francais Authentique, Authentic French. And he was really great because it was conversational. It was about expressions and facts about France. And I would tell these, these foreigners, find a podcast like this. Surely there's one, you know, in English that you can find doing this sort of stuff or even about Australia because they would also complain about Australian slang, the Australian accent, the Australian expressions, culture. They had no sort of in. They had no way of learning this stuff, which a lot of them still really struggle with. And so I just decided after having done a few science podcasts with friends back in the day when I was doing my master's, you know what, I can probably take up this, you know, burden and just start creating some content that will help them you know, and I thought, oh, I'll just look up a slang list online and I'll make a few episodes talking about that. And, you know, it won't last for very long, but hopefully it helps some people. And 
yeah, four years later, I ended up ditching science. I finished my PhD and was just like, this isn't for me. And, you know, traded the microscope for the microphone. What a story and not even a history background, but a science background, which mm. makes it even more interesting uh, from there. So it sounds like your podcast come kind of came out of like wanting to help the people around you. And I suppose you spotted a gap in the market. It wasn't necessarily a passion project, but more something you for, felt obligated towards. Yeah, exactly. So I just started it because I wanted to sort of give back and help. And I found these resources that I was using for French so useful. And I was like, you know, it's, it's a travesty that there isn't something out here for people learning Australian English because it's, you know, it's not that difficult to do if you know how to podcast. It's pretty easy to talk in front of a mic about whatever subject. And so, yeah, I just, I just got started. I had no plans for monetizing it at the beginning. I just thought, you know, I'll try and publish one or two episodes, you know, short episodes every single week that people can just listen to and study, you know, and it just started to grow. And then I started getting contacted by listeners asking if they could have uh, conversation classes with me. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, I'm, I'm not an English teacher. I don't consider myself an English teacher. I speak English and I'm learning how to sort of teach English, but it's not a, something I was professionally trained for. And so I took some of them up and said, you know, you know, pay me whatever per hour. I'm, I'm happy to get on there and chat with you about advanced things and correct your English as opposed to present something to you. And it was one of them who got me onto Pat Flynn's podcast, you know, Smart Passive Income, and was like, why aren't you monetizing? He was a business guy from Colombia, and he was like, why haven't you monetized? You know, work out a way of making money from this podcast because then you could do it full time. You don't have to do other stuff if you're not into science or whatever. You can just, you know, keep doing this and get paid for it. That got the cogs moving. I think I started binge listening to Pat Flynn's podcast from episode one to about 250 in a few months. <laughs> it's a great podcast. I'm a big fan of Pat as well. Yeah, it, it was really interesting. Obviously, skipped some of the episodes that weren't that useful, but there was one woman on there who was like, oh, I started a business teaching English online and I make about $10,000 a month and you know travel the world now and uh, live in Brazil with my husband, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that could be me. You know, <laughs> I'm like, wow, I would like to get $10,000 a month and travel the world. So, yeah, I guess I set that as the goal to sort of hit. And by December last year, that was the first month where we passed 10K a month. Oh, big congratulations. And yeah, um, thank you. Very, very cool experience. Now, I wanted to um, talk a little bit about you've done both audio and video with your show. I noticed that you've been an adopter of video probably earlier than most. Was there something that drew you towards that? How did that decision come to be? Just wanted my face on the internet, to be honest. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more that YouTube's the second biggest search engine, right, online. And so, I, I noticed for myself, at least, when I was researching things in French, I was trying to find information about French. A lot of the time, I'd skip Google and go straight to YouTube and be like, I want to find someone describing this thing or showing me. I'm a very visual learner. And so, quite often, I wanted to see more so than read uh, or even listen. And so, I just decided, you know what, I should be capitalizing on, on YouTube as well. Like you, and I think you've mentioned in, in other shows, I was a big fan of Joe Rogan podcast and a bunch of these other podcasts who cross over the two things as well. So, they do the podcast, but they do it live on, on video as well. But um, yeah, just ended up giving it a go and it's been, it's been good. It's been a hard nut to crack though. I think YouTube's pretty difficult in terms of English teaching because there's just so many so many English teachers out there. And for me, there's this constant fight internally of do I try and go broad in terms of just teaching English 
um, or do I try and niche down, you know, that riches is in the niches, Pat Flynn um, expression and stay with Australian English knowing though that it's a much smaller market. And so, it's very difficult. Each time I've, I've asked my audience, you know, would you prefer that I just did English overall? They're always like, fuck no, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, like there's no one else doing Australian English. <laughs> Please, God, don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I tend to agree there. I think it's a fantastic niche. And I mean, I know firsthand when I've gone onto YouTube and looked in those types of um, spaces, like broad English is a heavily competitive topic. Like it's yeah. one of the widest ones that exist. Now, how does your viewership break down between audio and video? Is it about 50-50 or do you tend to get more traction on one side? It's funny. In terms of podcasts, I, I get about 200,000 downloads a month at the moment. So, it ranges between about five and 10,000 a day. On YouTube, I think it's about the same, maybe a little bit less or a little bit more depending on the month on which videos I've released. However, the difference I've found is that videos tend to, the, the algorithm on YouTube plays a big role in how much your videos get seen. So, you have to tick all the boxes, you know, Lots of calls to action, has to be a certain length, you know, seven minutes is ideal, I think a bit longer maybe um, in terms of getting people to watch the whole thing, at least in this niche, you know, Joe Rogan can do three hours. I don't think with English learning I could ever do that, but I'll put up videos and depending on the topic and and um, yeah, the, the content they'll get between, you know, a few thousands of views and some of the bigger videos have gotten more than half a million views. In terms of the podcast, it's much more consistent. So, every single episode I upload gets about the same, you know, it'll range within about, you know, one or 2,000 downloads, but they all top out, you know, at around 10,000 downloads in the first month or so. So, I think it's, it's interesting seeing that people get onto YouTube. I think a lot of randoms will find your content on YouTube and just watch it and then never see it again. Or they'll subscribe and they'll watch it all the time. But in terms of the podcast, it feels like it's people come back for more constantly or at least it auto-downloads onto their phone. And so, you get much more of a consistent listenership, I think. That's really interesting. I- I've certainly found the same. I think the mistake people or podcasters specifically can uh, make here is thinking that they can just podcast and put it on YouTube and they're yeah. going to have phenomenal success. I think what you've recognized really well here is that YouTube is its own beast. Yeah. It's not something you can kind of treat the it's, same. It's tricky. And you'll see even with Joe Rogan's podcast, if you, I mean, pretty much anyone's YouTube channel, if you go on there and have a look at their average viewership, quite often, especially with the English teachers, they're throwing shit at a wall and they're just trying to see which ones will take off. And so, you'll see- you know, for instance, there's a few of these girls who have two and a half million um, followers and they are, the average video for them will get like 50,000 views, which seems like shitload. You know, it's a few stadiums worth of people. But if you've got 2.4 million subscribers and you're not even getting 10% or even 5% of those subscribers to see it, that's the algorithm playing with your video. It's testing it on a small group of people once you upload it. How long are they watching? Are they engaging with it? Are they commenting? And if not, if it's not doing as well as the other videos you've done that have gone viral, it just kind of nips it in the bud there and just says, you know, we're not going to send this to um, the rest of your subscribers. But you see the game they play is just is that constant release of content. And when they hit on something really good, they'll just keep doing that and try and keep getting that sort of virality. Whereas I think with podcasts, it's a little harder to try and play the viral game in terms of reaching an audience that way and getting shares and everything like that. YouTube and, you know, that sort of really good combination of Facebook or social media with YouTube is where you'll get heaps and heaps of, of new, new viewers 
and that potential for things to go viral. So I think for me, YouTube has now become a foot in the door where I'm I'm making money off YouTube ads, but I kind of turn that straight back into ad revenue for me to use to pay for my own ads on Facebook or Google. And I sell via the videos on YouTube. I try and introduce the podcast. So it's part of the funnel where I'm not trying to use YouTube as sort of a, an income stream, a very significant one. It's more, I want to find people, I want eyeballs and I want to point them towards the podcast and my online content. And so that's once I made that shift towards that, the good thing is you don't need very many views. You know, I'll, um, as an example, I have a pronunciation course that I sell for Australian pronunciation and I'll just make a video teaching a little bit of Australian pronunciation. At the start, I'll advertise the course. At the end, I'll advertise the course and I might give them a discount or something if they use the link below. And quite often, I'll just post that video. It'll get a few thousand views, which isn't anything you know spectacular, but I'll get 10 sales. you know, And so, I'll make $1,000 or something from that video. So, you don't need massive numbers. And if I tried to just get ad revenue from that video, I probably made like $5. So, that's why I think, and I've said to a lot of English teachers and just anyone who's got a YouTube channel, if you're in some area where you can create your own content that you can then sell to your viewers to help them in terms of whatever it is that you're doing online, you know, so for you, it might be, um, you know, marketing or podcasting. If you can obviously advertise that before and after, you you get extra revenue when someone buys that as opposed to just ad revenue from from YouTube. Really interesting point. I think that's a big shift a lot of podcasters need to make Yeah, is... There's very Become few. your own sponsor, right? Absolutely. I think that's the game. I mean, there yeah. are, you know, there's only one Joe Rogan and there's quite exactly. a few others that do well. And I'm not saying it can't be done, but it just seems a much better game to be your own I sponsor. I think you have the control, right? So I have never run ads on the podcast except for running my own content, which I'll just mention you know, on the side where it's relevant and it fits in a lot more. It's not jarring. It's not like, hey, get your funeral insurance, blah, blah, blah. And then bam, let's get into the English lesson today, you know? And so I think it fits a lot more with it and I have control over it. There's no, oh man, am I going to get a sponsor this week? Or does this fit with my show? Do I have to barter like a you know bargain? How much are they going to pay me? So obviously if you can do it and you can do it well, for sure, if it, if it fits for you. But in terms of at least my niche, it was a, a harder sell you know, for me personally, I was like, no, I want to make the products. I want complete control of them and I want complete um, profit from those products. Well, on that segue, this episode is brought to you by... No, I'm just joking. We don't do ads <laughs> like that here. But um, it's some very interesting points you've brought up there. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into them because you've just dropped so many insights there. And I want to go back to, I suppose, your thinking towards growing your podcast or growing podcasts in general. How have you gone about growing your own show? Has this been the main method of creating things on YouTube and bringing it back through ads? Or what have you found that's worked for you? I think the biggest thing, and I've forgotten the 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 title of the book, but it was something like Start With Why. You know, it's one of those Simon things, Sink. why are you doing it and how are you helping people, right? And so, I every time I have asked my audience or I have focused on why am I doing this and how is it helping people, there's pretty much always been, um, you know, an, improve, an improvement or, you know, more revenue, more listeners when I follow that line of, of inquiry as opposed to just, oh, I think this is a great idea. I'm going to go with this or, oh, this is an even better idea. I'll try that. It's kind of like you just have to keep asking what people want. What are their problems? You know, you'd know this as a marketer. And then you come up with a solution. 
you sort of inflame that problem so that they realize that it's a significant problem. And then you say, you know, go here and you can, you can find the solution. This is here to make your life easier, but it's also here to, you know, help me keep doing what I'm doing. That's, that's such a good point. Um, you've actually hit a bit of a nerve here, I must admit. Um, my first podcast, I actually think I call it was a sporadic podcast. And what used to happen is things would excite me in my life that I was interested about. So I might read a book and then all of a sudden the next podcast I did, of course, it was influenced by that book. There was never a thought of like, hey, how does this actually help someone? It's so hard. It's like shiny object syndrome, right? I, I have the same thing where I'll see something and I'm like, oh, that's such a good idea. I'm going to do that. And then I'll be like, wait, you know, is is this generating income? Is this helping people? You know, maybe I need to answer those questions first before I think, you know, I'll just do this because it seems like a good idea. Yeah. it's. I think if you just keep asking people, keep asking people, you know, I think as a podcaster, you're effectively an entrepreneur, right? You're there to solve someone's problems or at least you know, help someone improve their lives, whether it's just entertainment or it is, you know, education, whatever it is. So, you just need to find out what that is if you keep following that line of inquiry and be open to pivoting, right? So, maybe maybe you'll find out that your original idea for a podcast is not as good as a new idea that you've come up with, you know. I think it's like entrepreneurship 101. When you find out what someone's issue is, you try and come up with a solution and then you end up finding out there's 10 other things that you can you can do and you go down that path and you might end up starting with trying to cure cancer and then building a, sh- a rocket ship or something, right? I certainly think this could be a tough one for podcasters because they can put a lot of effort and energy into a show and to... As you get into podcasting, you certainly get better at it. You really do. And I think that, especially on your first show, (laughs) this is one of the things. My first show was in Royal Park in Melbourne. I had a lav mic, you know, something like one of these small little things that I plugged into my phone. In fact, I may not have even had that. And I just sat on, there's a log there near behind the children's hospital. And I just sat on that and was like, hi, I'm Pete. You know, I'm doing my PhD. I don't know what I'm doing with this podcast, but I want to help people. So, it's so funny when you go back and listen to that and you're like, oh my God, this is so cringeworthy. And the worst part is when listeners will email you and they'll be like, oh, my God, I've just found your podcast and I'm starting from episode one. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that. (laughs) Start from the top. Start from the top. (laughs) Well, this is what I mean. It's like quite easily you could have ended up doing a science podcast if you've not recognized the opportunity in Aussie English. So that pivot and transition, I suppose we've got to be open to because, you know, once we get further down the road, we actually know more. We actually are experienced in more. Well, that's one of those big things I sort of had to grapple with because at first I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not, a, I'm not an English teacher. What the fuck do I know? You know, how am I going to be able to help people? Or I'm going to get judged by a lot of other English teachers. And then I had to sort of just get comfortable with the idea that, okay, I'm not an English teacher. I'm here to create content that, that students can use themselves, you know, ultimately. I, I don't teach anyone anything. I create the content. I put it there for them to use. And my job is to make something they can engage with and it makes the learning effortless on their behalf, right? And so, again, it was just I'm here to solve problems or at least give people the content that they can use then to solve their own problems and they can go away and do it. That's such a strong way to think about what you're creating and where the value sits. I think a lot of podcasters could really benefit from that type of thinking towards their own show. So, we've looped into the idea that you've been very demand-driven in my opinion, like it looks like you've uh, well spotted what the market wants and constantly asking those questions. So when we move past that, 
tactically, how have you gone about getting that message out there? Because you've already mentioned social media and YouTube. Has there been anything you found to be particularly effective for you? I think it's one of those things, you know, in hindsight, it looks like, oh man, I crushed it. I've done so well. But to be honest, I think if you were to go back a year, two years, three years and sit down next to me and ask me what I was doing, I'd be like, I have no fucking idea. You know, <laughs> I, think, I mean, like I'd have an idea, but at the same time, there's no, you know, sort of like, here's my 10 step strategic plan for domination of Australian English and, you know, my step to being a millionaire or whatever. But I think into, it was just content, focus on the content, make sure the content is solid and just consistency, right? Just consistently do it. And so for me, it has been a massively hard slog. It hasn't been a, you know, a horse out of the gates, just straight to the top. It's just been a slow grind. And and with YouTube, you know, YouTube's been growing at maybe two or 3000 subscribers a month for the last two years. There's never, I haven't yet had a video that's just gone. I released it and bam, I wake up in the morning and there's a hundred thousand views or a million views, which some people, some of the friends, some of the people I follow, they've had that. And so I guess I just have to keep reminding myself, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. And it's better to just be, get your work ethic down, stay consistent, keep creating quality content, trying different things as well. Interviewing people, networking, that's been one of the really good things I think that helps me get my name out there too. Uh, it would be focusing on interviews and, and things like that with other people in your niche that you can work with for sure. So for a long time, I was sort of all focused on, I'm just going to create the content by myself in my room and release it. And you realize pretty quickly that something's missing there. One, you don't get to you know interact with other people very often if you're a podcaster at home in your dark lair. But uh, also that networking is a gift and a lot of other people, you know, end up really good friends. They end up helping you. They, they want to give you a leg up. And so, yeah, I think it's just, just keep chipping away. There's no sort of shortcut, unfortunately, at least, you know, that you can really plan for. Just to give that some context, like I'm looking at this right now and you've got 609 episodes. Yeah. Currently sitting here like that. <laughs> is, that is a, I, I don't often use that word, but that's a slog. Like yeah. I really think this is a an experience where consistency is paid, like the patience is there. And I actually think this type of story is far more common than the overnight success. And it's easy to be disheartened as a podcaster or content creator when it's like your expectation is I'm going viral tomorrow. Yeah, well, I kept sort of noticing that when I was binge listening to Pat Flynn, a lot of the people he would have on, you would hear stories like that. Probably not the majority. I think the majority were like, you know, me in terms of that hard slog and then eventually they make it. But you would hear stories of, oh, I just started this thing and within the first year I was past seven figures and you're just like, fuck me, like how can that just happen? And it's it's almost like a double-edged blade, right? Because you get, you know, all this motivation, but at the same time, it's kind of like you don't realize how uncommon that is in terms of, you know, the broader scheme, even though you you hear that story and you're like, I can imagine myself doing something like that and having those results. But quite often there's a lot of unforeseen stuff behind, um, you know, the the screen that you don't get to see, you don't know about, and it's just fallen into place quite often, not as perfectly as the person makes it sound either, right? It's sort of, they may not have had as much control over things as they make it seem. It's like you hear, oh, my cousin's Oprah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, right. That's it. Is this a legit case study? Oh, no, actually, you know, uh, my dad's mate's Richard Branson and he sent some emails for me. I think there's so many of those hidden things they don't necessarily disclose or past leverage they've got, which they've been able to bring in. 
but that's really fascinating. So it's like you've, you've really gone the distance there. But I'd love to ask, like, what have you tried that didn't work? Oh, man, that's a tough question because it seems like most of what I try doesn't work in terms of, you know, say videos on on YouTube. So I guess getting to know your niche, it, it's really irritating with the English world. It's kind of like the clickbait stuff is the stuff that gets viewed. And so for a long time, I was like, oh, I just really don't like this just listing expressions and, you know, don't say angry, you know, 10 better ways to say angry. But ultimately, you can't really fight with what people are watching, right? You know, you, you just have to try and make it your own, but also do what, what other people are doing and what's working. And uh, yeah, so I think a lot of the time, the things that I tried to sort of come up with and think was a great idea and then, you know, try and implement didn't work. And I've then just gone back, studied what other people are doing and tried to sort of put a subtle twist on it that makes it my own. And then that t- tends to work a lot better. But I think you just have to keep trying different things, right? It's There's no one size fits all. It's been a common story with the guests that I've had on this show about how much experimenting they do and whether that's with content, whether that's with interview styles or guests or video or promotion, it really feels that the common answer that's coming up, and even in my own show, is that you have to continually be evolving. You have to constantly be trying things and have an attitude towards, well, most of this won't work, but when something does, like that's going to be what we lean into. So that's a really interesting thing to hear there. Jumping into my next question here that I'm fascinated to kind of delve deeper into because this is something I think you've done particularly well is how have you gone about taking people from let's say listening to the podcast or watching your YouTube videos into actually spending money with you and becoming a a client or customer? Good question. I sort of I think a lot of it is just making the quality content that they enjoy. Podcasting is great compared to YouTube I think because you get into people's heads a lot more. And so it feels like they know you. So I meet, I had one story where my wife and I, she's Brazilian. We moved to Canberra because she got a job at the Brazilian embassy there. And we were walking around the street one day and these people were pointing at me and I was just like, what the hell? I, like I've got shit on my face. What's, what's up? They walk up to me and they, they're speaking in Portuguese, um, knowing that I speak Portuguese because of my wife and they'd been following me in Brazil and had just, you know, arrived in Australia and I've forgotten what this the point. What was the question again? Let me uh, <laughs> around monetization, around how you've been able to take people from your podcast into your um, paid products. Although I'm fascinated, you've had a fanboy moment. Yeah, well, that was that was weird. I, f- I had a point with that story. It wasn't just to toot my own horn, but I've, I've forgotten it. But I think I think no, the podcasting. So they felt like I was a friend of theirs. They had listened to hundreds of episodes, and they were like, "I know this guy," you know, like, "Holy crap, it's Pete!" So one, it was crazy that they just met me, but. I'd never met them. They came straight up to me and told me that. And I'm like, these guys listen to hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of me talking to them one-on-one in their ears. And you forget that that connection is kind of there, which I think you don't necessarily get from YouTube the same way. Podcasting tends to be a lot more personal, I think, too, because you don't have the visual thing. You just hear someone's voice. And so I think that creating good content, developing a relationship with your listeners on um, via your podcast and Obviously, talking about these issues, I think with with the podcast, anytime I've been creating a course, I tend to tell them about it and ask for their feedback. You know, I keep saying, I, I try and develop that relationship. Send me an email, send me a comment, message me, you know, I will rep- reply. I, I want to talk to you guys. I want to honestly help you. 
and I think that just feeds back into it. They they can tell you're authentic. That they they get to know you. They develop that relationship with you, and then when you start developing a solution, they want to help support you whilst also obviously getting that solution to improve their own, well, in my case, English, right? So that's been the way that I tend to, I guess, market, but introduce them to paid content. It's through the podcast primarily and then through email marketing, right? So you go down that route of getting people in through ads, opting into things, listening to the podcast, and then just reminding them constantly. You know, I try not to be... I'm very sort of cynical when it comes to marketing. I know what works, but I don't necessarily like doing that. But I try and keep the, mar- the the door open where there's always, you know, by the way, if you're having trouble with this, make sure you check out this course or check out the academy guys, you know, get get access to this because I know some of you have got this problem at the moment and this I've been finding with my students has really been helping them. So I think that's the kind of marketing that I do and that's been the way that I introduce people to the courses and the content that I sell. If I, if I had to sum it up from a marketer's perspective, perspective, it seems like you've done a really good job of scenting, I call it, where it's like everything kind of smells like the next thing. Um, yeah. So like you or relevancy might be another way to put it in a non-marketing term where it's like if you're watching a YouTube video on, I don't know your niche as well as you do, but let's say it's on a particular way to say hello. It yep. feels like you've just absolutely got, well, here's the opt-in for more ways to sell hello. Yeah. And then if you've got it, we've actually got a course, which is actually hundreds of videos on us saying hello, like all the pieces smell like they fit together. They go together. Well, I think quite often with podcasts and, and YouTube videos, it tends to be the why and the what, and then the how is the thing you sell them, right? So quite often they want to know what the issue is. Maybe they don't even, they're not even aware of it, right? In terms of maybe pronunciation, they don't know they can't do the TH properly in English. You know, They want to know uh, what it is. They want to know why it's a problem, but ultimately they want to know how. And quite often that's not amenable in terms of, you know, putting that up on YouTube because it's a five-day course or it's, you know, it's hours and hours of content. And also, you don't really want to make all of that and then have to give it away for free if it's taking a significant portion of your time. And so, that's a big thing, at least I've learned in my sort of limited experience with marketing. It tends to be, you know, you show them the why and the what, and then you sell them the how. So, if you if you can, again, keep asking your audience, what are you having trouble with? Why are you having trouble with it? how can I help you fix that thing? And then you take the how and you turn that into a product and then sell that back to them. And then later, keep talking about the what and the why, you know? So, that that tends to work pretty well, at least for my niche. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just emphasize that as well. That would be the last point about you constantly keeping that door open. The podcast yeah. is your ability to keep it top of mind. It's not something that's mentioned once. It's not like on episode one of this podcast, I said, hey, come and download some resources at Vela Media on our, our website and never mention again. Oh, by yeah. the way, go to our website and uh, download the resources on Vela Media. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> loop, exactly. Loop, loop but that's the thing. It's, you have to keep putting it out there. You have to keep mentioning it. And it's it, it becomes a bit of a talent to kind of do it without seeming sleazy. Um, but it's, it's kind of good etiquette in terms of podcasting. Like for me, I always open the show up and at the start, I'll be like, guys, don't forget if you want the bonus content, if you want access to the academy, blah, 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 go to the website here and sign up, give it a try. And you just remember to do that every episode at the start and the finish or whatever. And it's like advertising. Soon you have 600 episodes, every single one of which has that at the start and the finish and people just know it's out there. So I'm sure a lot of the people who end up signing up for my content, it's not that they hear that ad 
or that, you know, bit of marketing spiel and they pause the episode and, you know, their pants fall off while they're running to the computer to sign up for it. It's more that I think they just know it's there. So when they finally hit a certain pain point, they're kind of like, you know what, screw this. It's time to get Pete's pronunciation course, aussieenglish.com.au. I know this because I've heard it so many times. Bam, there it is. And they buy it. So I think that's, you know, you just have to keep reminding people it's there, but don't overdo the whole, you know, at least on my part, I hate doing the whole buy it, buy it, make sure you buy it. You know, this will change your life. Your life sucks right now, but imagine what it could be with my content. Well, you forgot. You got to put a deadline funnel on that as well. Offer it's closing yeah. Friday night. We're never, never opening Man, this again. Talk about that's why I'm bald. That shit tears my hair out. I, I hate doing it, but it works. It's the most frustrating thing in terms of building marketing pages, selling things, sell things at a discount. It's it's one of those things. It's so frustrating, but that's when people will. It's that last little. I think um, you know that little hill they get over, and they're like, you know what, I need to do it because this time there's a bit of scarcity here. Next time it'll be an extra ten bucks or something. But it does tend to work. So anytime I do those short sales where I'll be like, this month I'll take twenty percent off this course. All of a sudden, there's all these people on my email list that buy it, and you're like, well, why didn't you buy it before? You know, I'm thinking that, and it's simply they needed an excuse to allow themselves to do so. So you have to keep playing with those sort of human behavioral traits and, and, and you know, it's, I, I don't like the word manipulate, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things you just have to do. Again, I would love it if people would just realize, you know, it, it would be a perfect world if we didn't have to implement these strategies and do these things, but it's well, just it, not how people It works on wired. us, right? I, I get screwed with Sorry. that every time I get messages or emails saying, get this thing for 10% off. And I'll be like, damn it, you got me. You got me. All right, I'll do it. I'll get off my ass and I'll do it. <laughs> uh, I spent $500 on a course on Wednesday. It, yeah. It's Friday at the moment, but it's like, it, it, but it's very effective. The, But I think you've nailed something here that people need to be aware of. It's like when you can inspire your audience, and I call it a reason to take action now, Yeah, that can often be a really powerful strategy for encouraging people to make that jump. When they have that feeling, well, I can buy Pete's course anytime. Why would I motivate now? Like now I'm in my comfort zone. Yeah. Those little flavors and twists can really kind of, as you've seen, have a great effect. Like they we, do certainly work. We should quickly touch on pricing because this was something I always had a lot of trouble working out because obviously, especially in my niche, this kind of like, how do you work out what it's worth, right? Like if you're selling a car, you kind of have an idea based on what the car is, how much it's worth, what brand it is, whatever. But in terms of making a course, how do you quantify? You know, I've put 10 hours into making this part of the course. The whole thing's 100 hours. How do I work out? Is it is that a thousand dollars per course, or but I'm going to sell this to potentially unlimited people? Maybe it's ten bucks. I think there's no real easy way to organize pricing when it comes to something. But what I've done consistently is price low to begin with and move it up. You know, so you might want to launch the thing, start it. You know, whatever small, whatever you think is less than what the thing's worth, and then start pushing it up. And the other thing I've found is that the higher you go the less complainers you'll get, the less refunds you'll have to give and the more people will use the content. So that that was also the most difficult thing for me. I wanted to help as many people as I could with my content, but it seemed like the lower the price, the more refunds I had to give, the more people complained about, you know, whatever aspect it was and the less they used it. And it drove me nuts. You know, I, I remember giving some people, they, they had emailed me and they were like, I can't afford to get into your classroom, but I would love to use the content. I'm a hard worker. Can you please give me access? And I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll give it a try. They didn't log in. They never used it. And you're just like, so you have to remember too, oh, when, you're, 
when you're selling things, the payment is almost like a promise from that person to themselves that they're going to use that content to improve whatever it is that that content's allowing them to improve. It's almost like they've they've made a bet with themselves, right? That I I'm putting the I'm giving this money away, so now I better you know make use of this, or else it's a complete waste. So it's a lot easier to justify that when it's like a ten dollar, twenty dollar product. You know, ah, oh, fuck it, I won't use it. It was just twenty bucks, can't be stuffed. But if you start spending a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, all of a sudden you're going to be using that product. You're going to be squeezing every little piece, every little nugget out of that um, that product that you can. And so that is a, a difficult thing to do when pricing products, but I would just be not afraid to play with those things. Start low, bump it up and keep an eye on complaints, refunds. And if you can track how much people are using the content, because I think you'll find the higher it is, you know, if the same course was 10 bucks or a thousand dollars and I had to buy it, the one that cost me a thousand dollars, I'm going to use a lot more than the one that cost me 10 bucks. I'm just realizing this is me this week. Like as you're saying this, I'm like, oh my God, wait, wait. Um, So I actually bought a course on storytelling. That's something I'm looking to improve uh, with my podcasting. And I actually have like five books I've bought for like 10 bucks each. And I've read like chapters of them here and there. But this course came up on Wednesday um, and it was $500. And I was like, oh, I really want it. Even though I've got these other books, side note. And since spending that money, I've been writing stories every day. I've been putting... So it's that real effect, like it's it's a very true thing. Now, I'm curious, is there a particular price you found? Like is that $500 mark the gap or where is that kind of sweet spot? The, we can talk about membership websites here because I don't, I have a few courses that I sell that are just a one-time payment, but the other stuff is ongoing. So it's a monthly subscription. It's a six monthly, it's an annual subscription. And so one, I found it good to have a few options. I think, I can't remember the psychological study, but I think people prefer to have three payment options and to choose between those as opposed to just there's one, right? It's almost like we 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 shit ourselves when there's more than 12 options, which is why we, you know, hate some of those Asian restaurants, you always feel like you got a shit deal because you had 200 options on the menu and you were like, crap, you know, no matter what I choose, there was always going to be something better. <laughs> but if there's only one thing on the menu, you're going to be like, oh, fuck this, we'll go to a different place. You know? <laughs> so, it's a, bit, it's a bit like that where I, I make sure that there are multiple payment options. So, some people want to commit for longer Maybe they want to commit for a, a shorter amount of time. Then I have, you know, a cheaper product. So just the transcripts for the podcast and then the more premium product, which will be the Academy. And I have for that, it's just, you know, a monthly or an annual and the annual is like $600. And so you'll have this, you'll have a lot of signups for the cheapest stuff, but every now and then you'll have people sign up for the biggest stuff. And so it ends up balancing itself out, I think, and yeah, I don't know. It, it's you just have to play with it. But I, I think having a range, a range really helps. If you have just one product, it tends to be difficult. And it's nice to have one set low, one set high, and still, you know something in the middle there. But it really depends on what what it is that you're selling. You know, because there there are some products out there I've seen for twelve thousand dollars. Right, if they're um you know launching your new business and you want one on one coaching with you know a professional like yourself or something for a month. You know, you can have courses like that set up where they're, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And the good thing is, I think when you have those higher products, the good thing with the the annual, say, $600 product is I only need to sell a handful of those a month. And it really pushes me up in terms of what revenue I've made, whilst the bulk keeps sort of chipping away at those smaller products too. So, I think it's kind of like having your eggs in a few different baskets once you build it up. And the other thing is, it's obviously passive. So, although... 
with the academy and with the podcast, it's sort of ongoing content that I create and that I build. There is a point where I could just stop and just say, you know, it is now what it is. You've got 600 episodes and you've got hundreds of courses in the academy. And the same with the courses that I build. Each time I make one that might take me, you know, a month or something, that's kind of just done. And then it just keeps selling. You know, you set up a a funnel, you set up some ads, you set up some, um, you know, automated email systems that market the thing for you. And then it just keeps building, right? Month after month after month. So if you can, the thing for you guys listening will be in terms of your podcast, what content could you create that would really couple well with your podcast that the listeners are having a problem with? Show them the what and the why, try and come up with the how and put that together into a product that you can then sell to them and maybe think about some kind of uh, membership ongoing payment system because I really like that because one, it allows people who just want a small taste of it to get in there for a month or so and they don't have to fork out the big bucks. But then it also allows people to stay in there for years at a time. I've had some people who've been in my academy for over three or four years and you know they end up paying ultimately a lot more than someone who just signed in for one month, but also they use it a shitload more and get some really good results. So just things you guys have to work out and try and apply to your own, your own podcast. One thing I will mention that I pulled out of the bookshelf, this book really helped me. Profitable Podcasting. I grabbed that on Amazon by Stephen, uh, I would not know how to say that, Valsner, I think. But that was a good, lots of nuggets in that to think about it, how to make money from your podcast. Would you believe I'm reading that book as well? Really? It's actually on my Kindle. Um, <laughs> That's, I had it on my, um, I got the audio book and the most annoying thing is that I think that every other page has like a diagram on it. So I was like, ah, bugger, I'll just have to go and buy it because I, I hate the download the extra PDF. I'm not going to do that, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm out walking, you know? <laughs> yeah, really interesting to that point because I think you just emphasize something that a lot of podcasters experience is like you have to realize people are out walking. You've got to make things easy to yeah. download or easy to make that transition if you are going to include those extras. But looping back, you've taken a very ecosystem approach, an Apple approach, yeah. so to speak, where you've got a variety of ways ways to service people that constantly kind of loop back into each other. Exactly. That was the ultimate goal, really. It was just to keep slowly chipping away, building content, adding it to a library, get people to pay to access that library, and then just keep asking about problems they had and then keep creating content to sell, you know, with the ultimate goal of, you know, currently I, I get up, I probably work three or four hours a day. I go surfing, I go walking, I hang out with my wife and my four-month-old son quite a lot. So, this lifestyle is, you know, obtainable pretty pretty quickly for the average person who's podcasting. You just have to kind of keep interrogating that idea of how can I, you know, fix someone's problems? What are they? And, you know, maybe pivot if, if what you've got set up currently isn't ideally um, monetizable. Again, read, read something like one of these books, listen to Pat Flynn's podcast, listen to Charlie's podcast, get some ideas and maybe play with other things. The good thing is once you become a podcaster, you know, I could kill Aussie English tomorrow and start science podcasting or business podcasting. It's like the podcasting in and of itself is a skill and you don't be afraid to change or think about other projects and everything. Like I think you were saying this isn't your first rodeo with this podcast, right? So you just have to keep trying different things. Yeah, I've had some spectacular failures. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm not ashamed of that at all because after I'd record recorded 200 episodes with a show, it's like I was all right, I'm confident to record. Exactly. I'd, you know, worked with a team of editors. I knew how to promote. Like we only – it's what's funny is we don't actually do anything different than what we used yep. to do. It's just been applied in a different way. 
Well, it, it's who you are, right? The experience is part of the thing. You need time on the mat. They used to say when I was doing jiu-jitsu all the time, he's like, man, you, you need to tap thousands of times before you're going to be able to submit, you know, a black belt or whatever. You just need to get used to it and take that on as part of the journey. And that was me with science and doing 12 years at uni, you know, looking back, it's like, oh, fuck, I passed a decade or more of my life doing something I'm not currently using. But at the same time, it's turned me into who I am. It's given me the knowledge I have about how to research, how to write. And um, I've also learned podcasting along the way. So, you just kind of have to take it in your stride and keep moving forward. I would argue that based on you putting 12 years into something, what it's actually given you is a a discipline of sticking at something. I think that's like- I felt like I had no other option, to be honest. It was that finish the (laughs) bachelor's degree and then I was like, oh, fuck, if I want to get a job, I need a master's degree. Finish that. And you're like, oh, crap, I need a PhD. And then finish that. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. No, postdoc, no, no. (laughs) So, I mean, that leads into my next question here of like, where to next for you? What's What are you working on with your podcast and where do you plan to go in the future with it? Good question. I think it, it's all up in the air, really. Like I, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And I guess I think a lot of it is just tinkering and working out how can I improve upon what I have. I would love to go. I have a, an IT team in India that I've, I've hired through Upwork online that I work with quite a lot. And I would love to develop online platforms that help people learn languages. I'm very passionate about learning languages. So I speak Portuguese and French and I'm learning uh, Mandarin at the moment. And I would love to try and make that process of learning a foreign language as fun and effortless as possible. So one thing I've been thinking about, you know, and no one steal my idea, I'll, I'll know, is that next step after Duolingo kind of thing, you know, because it seems like Duolingo is this app, right, where you learn a language, but it tends to be the very basic beginnings of the language. And the app is amazing. It's got millions and millions and millions of users. But once they finish that, there's sort of a massive distance still to go to get to fluency. And so, no one's really come up with a solution, at least from what I know, that sort of fits in there. So, I'd love to get into that space and and really try and come up with some kind of online platform that helps accelerate people from, um, you know, a late beginner to early advanced speaker of whatever language it is. I also have a bunch of other people I work with doing this project like mine, but cookie cutting it out and doing it for America, doing it for Canada, doing it for Britain. So, I'm also potentially going to set up a media, quote unquote, media company where I take what's been working for me and apply that to new languages. Because again, almost from a selfish point of view, I would love that content to be out there for myself if I'm interested in learning those languages. And I know how helpful it is for my followers. So, I'm sure, you know, there's people out there learning Polish or Japanese for whom this approach would work just as well as for anyone learning English, you know, where they want to learn about the culture, the news and current affairs, um, as well as the language itself but sort of as a secondary thing, right? Well, that's the beautiful thing once you've built a great system. And, you know, often we can think about doubling a business from like, let's just double the amount of people that listen to your podcast. Yeah, exactly. You know, in this type of thinking, you've gone, hang on, what if we do American? Well, I think, I think I'm very is. conscious of the fact that Australia is a pretty small country. And so, I mean, we, we have a heap of immigrants coming here every year. So, the good thing is that I'm, I don't think I'm going to run out of anyone wanting to learn Australian English anytime soon. It's probably only going to increase. But I'm very um, conscious of the fact that America is a huge market. Uh, Canada is a big market. South America, Brazil, like there are other places where, you know, you could expand out into. So, you just have to work out, do you want to keep going up? Do you want to expand out horizontally? And I guess the, the fun and the sort of scary part is that there's no certainty as to what's going to work, what's going to happen, where it's going to go. You just have to keep 
you know, sitting on the horse and holding on for as long as you can. Well, one thing I'm certain about this whole game of podcasting and marketing and business in general is it will continue to evolve. There's yeah. going to be endless new opportunities and there's going to be things we're doing today that are working that won't in the future. It's just how it rolls. Now, exactly. Pete, where can someone go to learn more about you and what you're getting up to with Aussie English? I think just type in Aussie English podcast into Google. You can visit aussieenglish.com.au. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Yeah, just type in Aussie English and you'll find me, I'm sure. And guys, we'll make sure we include all the links in the description with this uh, show itself. I'm going to go further and I think one of the best things you can do is check out this YouTube video, this short documentary on Pete's podcast. I think it's very well put together and entertaining. Um, and I think it's also well worth looking at the way Pete's put together his website and really that scenting that every piece connects to the next is what's done well here. So how the podcast ties into the email list, the email list to the products, the taste of the products, the courses to the membership. Like there's a really nice flow here that I think many people can model. And of course, if I see any Aussie English podcast popping up, we'll be on to you and we'll crack down on that. But um, I think there's a lot- Let me add too, before I end, just to give you guys one last nugget. If you're thinking of making an online membership website and you don't want to just create a course and put it through something like Udemy or Teachable, check out Buddy Boss and uh, learn dash so those are two sort of one buddy boss is a theme you can put onto a wordpress website learn dash is a plugin that uh, orders the content and everything for you but that has been the killer kind of combination that makes uploading content really easy because it's just like uploading effectively audio video text whatever it is but you can protect the content you can set up payment systems everything like that buddy boss and Learn Dash. Oh, and Member Press. That's the thing that organizes the money. So, those are some really good uh, plugins to suss out if you're thinking about it. Thank you so much. Your generosity on this show has been sensational, Pete. So, I want to say a big thank you. And like even giving away the tools where someone can replicate what you've been able to get up to in their own niche or their own podcast itself. So, big thank you for you coming on the show. I think there's a lot people can take for this. So we'll wrap this one up from here. Thank you so much once again. This has been another episode of The Business of Podcasting. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. 